Babble, Bullshit, and Beyond, a podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, bringing you a standard's perspective of the film industry and an immigrant's perspective on America. The most fluffy, fun, pop bullshit you can tune into. Today on the show, we have Adam Beach, a native Canadian actor who, after overcoming a troubled childhood, losing both of his parents within months of each other at the age of eight, managed to find a lasting home in film and television after his big break, acting alongside Nicolas Cage and Wind Talkers. Having worked together on the film, we reminisce of our fun times together in both Hawaii and Los Angeles. Today, he'll be calling us from the Southern Florida home where he resides with his loving family. Oh, hey! Hey! Dude, can you see me? I can see a photograph, but is it working? Kelly, help me with this thing. There oh, there you are. I saw a good hey, photograph buddy. of you. How are you, kid? I'm good, man. Good, good, good. I'm wearing my uh, reading glasses now. There you are in your big master bedroom. Wow, that's a nice <laughs> bedroom. Thanks, buddy. It's nice. It's sky blue, just like you. So, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm uh, without glasses. This is it, um, Adam, the way I always looked. But now I need um, <laughs> reading glasses because I'm becoming an old greasy Greek. But I'm I'm still sporting it. Got the same hairdo, <laughs> and I'm going to say that in Florida, Adam, I'm considered a senior citizen now. So at the age of 55, you're a senior in Florida. Did you know that? You're 55. I'm 55, bitch. I'm That's... actually. Do you believe that? I'm 55 with a fucking heart on. So, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. Well, I'm you don't actually, look 55, so that's good. Yes, the real deal. So you're an elder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I call it my Alive at 55 tour. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Adam Beach. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, I love you, Marco. I'm glad I'm here, buddy. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. I can't believe I got in touch with you after all this time. And I just want to say you look exactly the same, ponytail and all. Exactly. It is a ponytail, right? It's all the plastic surgery, buddy. It is. Yeah. <laughs> You're not ponytail. a surgery guy. You look great. Honest to God, you look great. I didn't even realize you were in your 40s, but you do look fantastic. You still look like you're in your late 20s. I'm not kidding you. Uh, uh, you thanks, haven't aged. Dude. You look amazing. Uh, thanks, buddy. And like you yourself, you look amazing, beautiful, and your charm. Like I always tell everybody... When I was doing Wind Talkers, mm -hmm. one of the most important friendships I created on there was with you. Oh my God, thank you. Thank you. You're I welcome, felt the buddy. same. I felt we got really close. I mean, that movie was, was, a, was a tough film to make and I learned a lot and I didn't know how much weight you can pull and I realized that you were actually the star of the film while I was working on the movie. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, this guy's the lead actor in the film. He's amazing. Who is this kid? I mean, other than smoke signals. And I'm thinking, who's this guy? And he's sweet and he was nice and he was innocent. And I loved your wife and I loved the little mm -hmm. kids and they were adorable on the set. And it's like, wow, he's got his whole family here. He's like the character in the movie. So it was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, doing that movie, after us finished and you know when everybody watched the film that movie was the one that kind of let people know that adam could hang out with the big boys mm -hmm. so ever since that movie i i've never really had to audition for work and uh you know 
the opportunity just opened, the doors opened, and it's been uh, successful after that, which is great. You've done, from what I understand, about 60 films and movies, if not more up to now. You haven't stopped for, what, 20 years? Yeah, over 20 years, and it's over 80 projects. It's pretty cool, and, and what's cool is, you know, now that we're talking about Wind Talkers, is that was basically the first film where I actually went to school to watch the great actors, you know, with Nick and Christian and yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you know it was all about me for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Ruffalo was on there, and, you know, it's kind of Van growing Holt, up with everybody Emmerich. after that movie. Yeah. It it really gave me the tools that I needed to be more professional, to bring more to the table, you know, or demand more, that kind of thing. How did you feel about carrying that film? Because essentially the subject matter of Yazzie was, the, was what the film was all about. Did you feel the pressure or did you feel like this felt right, like you could work this through? And did Roger Willey help you through the process? Because mm -hmm. he was... You know, he was pretty good off the set as well. Yeah, well, Wind Talkers, when I was approached to come in to audition for John Woo, um, they had asked me to come in, but I told them that I was not going to attempt to be a part of this project unless they got permission from the Navajo Nation. Mm. Because personally, I felt that, you know, to respect the Navajo Nation and their warriors and their, you know, their veterans, um, you, you got to respect them for their language and culture. So they thought it was a weird uh, thing to do for me, but they did. And what they got back was the Navajo Nation said, yes, Adam can play this role. And we would like the other role to go to uh, a member of the Navajo Nation. So that's how that came to be. So I eventually flew down, met, met with John Wu. Uh, they gave me the part. And then uh, they chose Roger Willie, who wasn't an actor, but mm -hmm. he was uh, a full-blooded Navajo. And he was a consultant as well. Oh, yeah. Without him, I wouldn't even have survived. <laughs> he was helping me all the time. He was great. Oh, man, for his first time. Mm -hmm. And what he did was was show he showed how natural he was well obviously he's playing his people mm -hmm. but he just i don't know he brought in that connection that everybody needed he's he's really good to this day he's still good and he still works yeah i i met up with him i just did a movie with him called the watchman's canoe and we'll be distributing it on our cable network online and uh, I'm shooting another film with him called um, uh, um, Coyote Howls. <laughs> and uh, we'll start probably shooting this summer. So he's still out there. Good. So you're going from big to small to independent to studio films to TV. You're basically covering everything. And, you know, anything that's important to you that represents potentially your people and the love of your craft from what I read and from what I saw. Adam and so yes. for 20 years you're you're in that you're representing your nation for the most part yeah and the important part is that I've learned how to maintain my integrity by the choices I make 
but also, you know, I've always had this stubborn quality that allowed me to, you know, to say, you know, I'd rather starve than go to work on something I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I've always maintained that. And, and people have respected my choices because I was able to say no. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll always maintain that because I think being uh, of minority, but of uh, a Native American status, that there is so much that needs to be told about the sovereign nations of the people in America. And if I'm going to be that leader in that voice and that image, I better choose wisely, mm-hmm. but also have a say and do my homework for the characters I play. When you were doing Wind Talkers, whose choice was it to do the spiritual blessings and the prayers before the film shot? Was that yours or was that part of the ritual? Yeah, it was kind of, it was involved in the script that there was some sort of, you know, uh, ritual happening, blessing, but they didn't know how or what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And when we brought in um, Roger, he knew the guy that was coming in to do the blessing. And what people see in the movie is part of a blessing that is not fully shown because it's not allowed to be seen other than in ceremony. So we've we've kind of taken a quarter of a ceremony that exists out there, the blessing ceremony, uh, to show, you know, to give it that essence. And Roger, as you can tell, obviously did the ceremony because mm-hmm. he's done many of them. And you could tell that there's this connection and breath and belonging in that space that is so beautiful and unique, unique. And you would never be able to recreate that unless you had someone who was connected uh, uh, as a Navajo um, member, you know? It's beautiful. With that, the writing of the script was by John Rice. Is that correct? I believe so, yeah. There may have been a partner with him, but John Rice, and then it was produced with uh, Alison Rosenzweig. Were they partial or were they in the know of what was going on with the Navajo um, during that time of World War II? Was that something that he was close to? Because uh, I mm-hmm. think he directed you in a film called Chain. Is that yeah, correct? we did That, that we Nick were... Cage produced, but I never <laughs> saw it. <laughs> we were going to do this movie called Chain, uh-huh. and and Nick was producing it. And what happened after it, I don't even know why it didn't make it to a feature film, but we shot a trailer. And it was so, so fun to do because it was just like, it was almost like The Crow. This guy comes back from death, and he avenges his, his uh, murder of his family, but he's a, uh, he rides a motorcycle. And has to, you know, kill these motorcycle guys. It was really cool. Never done anything like it, but it didn't make it to, to a feature film. But it was, it was pretty unique that they asked me to be a part of that, which is cool. Yeah, I think it's yeah. cool. I'm still loving the fact that we worked on Wind Talkers for you know 800 hours. Uh, in total i think my Dude, back went up oh my god i was dying on that film it was like here we go to hawaii i was like that's a 10 hour fight i'm thinking it was but you know what was cool dude is you know everybody was tired they wanted to go home exhausted so, not tired which so we're doing our scenes and then all of a sudden many times 
Nick is like, okay, I'm done. I'm going home. And I'm yeah. like, wait, hey, it's my close-up. Yeah. It's like remember that. Marco will do it for me. <laughs> so a lot of people don't know. It's like I'm looking at you for all my close-ups. Yeah. And you're doing the whole performance in Nick Cage's tone and his movements. It was hilarious. But you were so good at it, dude. It was great, man. I was so nervous doing the close-up, your close-up, when we were in the cemetery to not fuck it up and not break out <laughs> because I was trying to be Nick and I'm thinking I should just be myself because Adam's being himself in this character and I'm thinking he's holding me down and I'm fucking dropping dead and you're doing the scene. It's a close-up. It's the middle of the night and Nick is gone in his hotel <laughs> or in the Elvis Palace or wherever the heck he was and there you are, the lead actor, the subject matter of this film, Working with the stand-in, yours truly, Marco, Marco, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> and we kept breaking up and laughing during the close-ups. <laughs> it, was, it was as I'm it lying down so on funny. that grave in the dirt. And I was like, Ugh, I hope I don't get bed bugs and things and roaches and cucarachas and bullshit on me. <laughs> Why are you like the sincere funny, guy? Dude. And what about the other thing when we were like when when you were like when you were dying and stuff and it was like rolled on me? I was no, I was rolled on to you. It's the middle of the day. I think I was popping a yeah. boner at that time. It was, <laughs> it was so much fun, dude. Oh my gosh, that but was it's hysterical. Like, you know, you were like the highest paid stand-in in the whole movie industry, dude. <laughs> And I keep telling people when they're like, oh, how did you enjoy Wind Talkers? Oh, it was great. But, you know, the stand-in got paid more than me, and I was number two on the call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was 1A, so I win. So that's kind of like how it went. MGM saw 1A and bumped me up ahead of time. So I got the perks and the finances. Mark Ruffalo bitched about that, too. He's like, dude, you're making more money than I am. I'm a fucking actor. I'm like, yeah, but I'm on cage wage. <laughs> just like the fuck is cage wage i'm like you miss that entourage you miss my trailer he's like what you have a trailer i'm like yeah what do you do i'm the stand-in he's just like <laughs> he's like what it was oh so funny God. he's like teach me some words maybe some greek words because he played pappas and i'm just like so i'd throw a couple of greek words at him so he used his character's name was pappas so he used a little bit of Greekness in there, like an opa or malaka that I would teach him. So he, he got a little, so I said, I've just justified my paycheck kid. That's <laughs> awesome. dude. He was always listening to like Greek music and saying, opa, that <laughs> well, that's because cool, we man. were talking about his character and I, me being Greek. I, we were having that discussion. We had just come back from Greece doing Captain Crowley's mandolin, where I also acted as a translator in Greece on that film with Penelope Cruz. So I'm yeah. coming off of that one onto another island, the Hawaiian island. But it was fun to hear your stories and to play. Basically, I was playing opposite you on a lot of shit, Adam. Yeah. Well, dude, what was um, what I enjoyed watching was this is one of Nick's first movies where he actually was playing a, a, a real person. It, it felt like mm -hmm. he was uh, he was not in a character sketch. You know, he didn't have he didn't have to be eccentric all the time and in a lot of the stuff he does. So it was kind of cool seeing him like almost like struggle with it sometimes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because, you know, he I remember him doing the crazy eyes when he the when he started shooting everybody. And I was like, that's the Nick Cage right there. And he's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, ah. 
That was hysterical. <laughs> it was great, dude. They should have had you step in for that. Well, <laughs> I think when we've... <laughs> I don't know. I think my, my big fat Greek hairy nipples would have fallen out of the uniform. I'm not <laughs> sure if they would have held up. I would have needed. At that point, I wasn't eating a brassiere. I was eating myself out of a job. I was so tired. I was eating everything that was there. It was. Uh, I know. It seemed like you're wanting to quit the industry at the time. And oh, I just, was. You know, you, 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 you were talking about the investments you're making and it's and it was slowing you down a little bit you know yeah it was because he works like a madhouse mm -hmm. like nick cage is respected in that way you know yeah it was funny i mean i was i was i was bitching a lot because i was always lying down in the dirt and people were kicking dirt in my face nobody cared <laughs> and i had to just count my shekels the whole time i was like okay there's another overtime there's another four hundred dollars keep fucking kicking sand in my face bitches i'm gonna win <laughs> So the best part was is that I'm still getting residuals 16 years later after the film oh, release. I'm so like, oh, my good, God, man. I can't believe it. But a lot of people, they don't realize that you don't just show up and stand there and do nothing. Like your mannerisms are there and you had to, you know, I remember you had to keep your fingernails clean because yes. that was part of Nick's mm -hmm. characters. For the hand doubles. Yeah. So you were doing all of this stuff and you were good at it dude when you stood right beside nick you looked like him and walked like him and you know could talk like him it was really cool it was uncanny like i'd never seen that on any movie before where uh, a, a stand-in or a double actually did his work and really was on the ball it was really cool, dude. I, I appreciate that. Adam. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've, I've heard that before and I really appreciate it. But I did take it seriously because I had to be in his character all the time. I would read the script ahead of time. I would look at the sides. I'd figure out what's going on, how he holds the machine gun, how he walks, how he talks, how he lies down, how he's, you know, the death scenes and how he parades up and down and does this whole yeah yeah <laughs> exactly. like, let's go oh let's go yeah. <laughs> so it was you know and cut your hair and crop it and this and that and whack your fucking balls because he's a white person <laughs> i'm not you know so i had to think of everything thinking, i hope they don't fucking photo double my balls they're probably smaller so <laughs> where did how did you get started with nick again like how did he know you were the guy? You know what I mean? Uh, he, well, I, I, I did a very first standing gig on, on a film called Trapped in Paradise in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake here. And I, it, was, it was after I had left L.A. and kind of given up on an actor and I just needed some extra money. So I thought I'd maybe do some background work. And then they said, why don't you do a standing gig? I'd never done a standing gig before. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. They said, just follow the lead or whatever he does you have to do. And it's for Nick Cage. I went in, had an audition. They said, you're hired. I'm like, okay. And it was the middle of the winter, and uh, it was a George Gallo film with um, John Lovitz and Dana Carvey, if you can believe it, and Nick Cage all playing whacked out brothers from Pittsburgh. And uh, it was a, it was almost a farce. It was a comedy. And uh, so I did him to a T within the first week. Within a month, he wow. asked me if I would travel with him. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it. It's like, okay, I'll make a little bit of money. I'll get out of debt, and I'm going to start uh, a new career in the restaurant business because I gave up the. And then one <laughs> thing, it's like you need to. Uh, we need to talk, Marco. I'm like, am I fired? I'm like, I just started the job. It's like, well, no, you're you're really good at what you do. I'm like, yeah. Well, what am I doing? And he says, yeah. Well, you're a great stand-in. Well, 
is that what I'm doing? I'm a standard. I'm like, I don't even understand. I'm like, I'm just doing what you're doing. He says, you're really good at it. You're perfect. I'm like, would you like to come and, come and do the next film with us? I'm like, what? Yeah, we're going to New York. We'd like you to come with us to New York. And then we're going to LA to do a film called Leaving Las Vegas. Would you like to do that? I'm like, <laughs> okay. And that's how it went. <laughs> that is awesome. Is that hysterical? So I, I would just, it. you know, I, I did what I thought was the right thing. I didn't know what I was doing except for follow the leader, act in character, don't overstep your lines or your boundaries, be a good boy, and don't gossip badly, but have fun. At the same yeah, time. you could see that. Like you guys were good friends. Yeah. And also you guys were amazing professionally. It's like you guys knew your place and you also knew how to be friends in a chaotic environment. You know what I mean? That was chaotic was, there in Hawaii. That was where they did Jurassic oh, Park. It was the yeah. rain outs, the rains, the clouds, the the waiting five hours until the sun comes up and you're, everybody's like lying on the turf filming of 13 cameras at once it mm -hmm. was ridiculous it was ridiculous. remember that were you there when john woo was absolutely hammered and he came out on hey, jack daniels <laughs> he loves his jack daniels he must have been tired <laughs> i couldn't believe it i forget who i was with and i was like oh my god he's hammered <laughs> he must bigger, have been bigger bombs <laughs> oh yeah 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 oh big off what big off Bigger. What do you mean bigger? How big? Bigger than my Dude. hairdo? Yeah, big. I'm like, oh, big. Do you know when when we were hanging out, the first time I met him, he's, or, um, when we were on set, he was really excited, like a little kid. He's like that. And he came, and he came up to me, and he's like, uh, you know, how are you, Adam? Um, great. Um, well, how much How much you make? And I was like, ah, oh, they, they mm. paid me like 150 grand. And John nearly like started crying, dude. He looked at me like with such sorrow in his eyes from excitement to like dropping this emotion. And I was like, and he walked away. He shook his head and walked away. And I was like, oh my God, what happened? And Terrence, and Terrence looked at me and he says, you know, Adam, he wouldn't have done this movie without you. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, he really cares about you. And he thought you would make at least a million dollars. And I was like, what the hell? And he, yeah. And like John was really, he, he was like a father. He was looking mm -hmm. after me and he knew this was a big break. So he, you know, really supported me, played those cards that I didn't know even existed until that movie. So now I play my cards differently. Good. But, you know, now now I know, but I was kind of, you know, happy to do it. There was a sincerity that was shown through every scene and every shot, Adam. Though it wasn't forefront all the time because it wasn't needed, that innocence, that, that sweetness from this little boy, and you weren't a boy, but this little boy was coming through the entire time on Yazi. I felt it. I saw it. I saw it in the playback, was watching with, with, with Wu, which, who I sat down next to often, and I remember him constantly with little tears, happy. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you because I would sit. He's like, Marco, you all sit out here. I'm thinking, why, why do you want me to sit next to you? And he's like, you sit out here. I want you to sit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I sat with him because somehow he liked what I was bringing there. But I would look at him and he's like looking at you. And I'm seeing him tear up. 
And I thought that's probably why he's also a, a pissed off. I mean, I would have thought you would have had close to a million dollars because Nick made twenty million on that film. It's I mean, that crazy. Twenty. I, when I was talking to people, the number that came out was they were like, "Adam, when it comes to everybody getting paid and how much the movie, you should have left. You should have at least had two million. You yeah. know. So there was a budget there that I just I didn't know. You know, I was just kind of learning the ropes and really just wanting to work and the budget now that had, um, won't happen again on those films at the time because it was a big hollywood heyday time uh there was no budget that was what i found out working with nick they tell you <laughs> there's a budget and then you listen to these fuckers and they say this and that and i'm looking at like oh craft services up to like you know uh ninety thousand bucks an hour and i'm looking at these bastards they're like and then they'll talk to an extra no you can't make more than 72 dollars today and i'm thinking there's no budget the budget is whatever they <laughs> want to tell you the budget is your 150 thousand but so i just asked for whatever i wanted and they gave it to me and because yeah. i was on nick cage range i said fly me in first class i get my own car i get an suv i want my own hotel room because people bum you know they, they had to sleep together. i'm like no no i don't do that world i want my own place I want a queen size bed i need a balcony I want a view. They're like, you'll be on set 15 hours a day. I don't fucking care. This is what I want. And I change rooms and like, just charge it. And I realized, and when they were done with that run in Hawaii, and we were going to uh, at that ranch north of LA, they allowed us to stay in Hawaii. I'm like, why? They said, do you want to stay in Hawaii for another week? We're kind of like regrouping in LA and we have a couple of weeks off. So we can stay here and we'll just pay for your, your stay in, L in Hawaii. I'm like, what? I'm like, what about the budget? Well, you know, you could stay for two, three weeks until we regroup and, and it's on us. I'm like, so much for the fucking budget. And you're nickel driving <laughs> everybody else. I'm thinking people are surfing, they're hanging out. They're like, oh, I don't have to go back to LA. They're going off to like little bars and it's all paid for. So there's the yeah. fucking budget. <laughs> so no kidding, man. Keep that in mind. So with that, once we made it back, uh, by the way, I didn't go to a boot camp, but you went to the boot camp, right? Dude, it was awesome. You should have oh came, Oh, my God. Man. Are you kidding me in a boot camp? Are you kidding me? I would be screaming and crying with a bunch of fucking <laughs> macho Marines and military people and you guys. You would have eaten me alive. <laughs> they didn't even let us talk to our family because we had to reenact 1945 in the barracks. Ugh. And if we wanted to send out any message, it had to be a letter given to the commander to send it out the next day. It was formal. <laughs> It was awesome, man. You know how close I got to that boot camp? They brought me on there, shuttled me in with one of the vans. I looked at what was going on. All these Marines, all these guys, these white dudes, like, they're ready to go. And I walked back to the ADs, and I said, I'm going back to the hotel room. No, 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 you have to do training, blah, blah, blah. I said, see that stun guy, Eddie? <laughs> they're like, yeah, he can work. I said, I'm here just to stand under a light. Well, there's not that much lighting. Even better. I'm going home. <laughs> And I said, shuttle me back. I'm on cage wage. And I literally walked off and I said, that was the end of it. I pissed on it and I went home <laughs> to my hotel room. And I, I oh was done. God. I was like, oh, I get four or five days off. Well, that's all right. Where am I going to go? I think I'll just tour the islands. And that's what I did. <laughs> I was like, fuck them. And you, we had both oh. stunt guys. You had Eddie Fernandez was your guy. He was a great guy. And uh, Eddie Yancic awesome. was our guy. It was Eddie times two. And uh, <laughs> when, uh, of course, they would have a Mexican guy playing a native Indian because that's how it works. Because <laughs> he <laughs> is Hollywood. So when we finally made it back, 
after all the blow-ups and the blow-ups and the 15 camera setups and the squibs and the bunkers in Hawaii and the bullshit that went on for months and months and months and sometimes we didn't get a shot for a whole day and I'm thinking it must have cost two million dollars that day for production and then the the, the daylight goes away and then we're like back yeah. at 6 a.m. it's like uh-oh <laughs> it's like thank god I'm not funding this thing <laughs> oh my gosh so when we finally Man. ran out of money uh, after blowing the budget and we had to go back to California and pretend it was Hawaii and then we were in this Rosa 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 ranch or something that we were filming it like north of LA somewhere yeah. north of Santa Clarita somewhere and it was freezing <laughs> that was the joke we got there it was November and it was like 30 degrees Fahrenheit and it was 90 <laughs> in Hawaii and people can't think that California could be so cold but it was fucking freezing I mean we yeah. would see the air coming out of our mouths and it's supposed to be Hawaii and I'm wearing long johns top to bottom because I'm such a frail human being <laughs> and it was really funny because the landscape didn't look like the rest of the movie anymore I know but you know they got away with it they nobody did. knew where it cheated there was one scene Adam where John Wu uh, and, and your boy Eddie and my boy Eddie was off on, on doing a scout for a second unit but your boy because you were going to be part of the scene was watching the setup. It was about six o'clock in the morning and Nick wasn't there. He was in his trailer and it was up on a knoll. So it was a bit of a walk up the thing. And John didn't want me to do this scene because it had to do with a gun and pointing a gun and stuff. Of course, I don't know how to hold a gun. And I was wearing a chenille <laughs> scarf at the time and I was cold and I had to wear my thermals out of my padded shoulders because Nick had big shoulders and I didn't have pads. So I had them sewn into my outfit. And then I had lifts in my boots because I was too short and I was slumping over because I was tired. And so I looked like this blow up doll version of Nick at this point. And John went, no, 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 Michael, oh, no problem. No, no, we got Eddie Hansik. Where Eddie Hansik? And, but Eddie was off on the other uh, second unit and your boy, Eddie was like, oh, I'll do this stuff. And it's like, no, I want the uh, for Eddie. And I'm like, I'll do it, I'll do it. I can hold the rifle. No, Michael, you know, no good. And I'm like, he's like, okay, 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 you go up. So I go up and uh, the whole time, the, the cinematographer who was a joking to begin with, you know, with the big hat, um, <laughs> As I'm going up and I'm standing up there and I'm holding the rifle up in the air, just holding it up into the sky, and I'm standing majestically, like like Nick was like ready to kill everybody. And he's like, and John would scream from the bottom all the way up, and all the guys are sitting around him, including Eddie Fernandez, your boy. Yeah. And he will say, Marco. I'm like, what? He's like, we are all. I'm like, <laughs> we. I'm like, okay. So I, I start to crouch a little. And he's like, no, I said a real world. I'm like, real low, even lower. Fuck. I said, going that low, maybe you can change the angles. So I'm, I'm getting lower. I'm going down. I'm close to my knees. I'm crouching, crouching, crouching with a gun. And my knees are hurting me. And I'm feeling the pain. And I'm feeling arthritic at this point. I'm feeling like an old cucker from New York. And I'm like, I'm in pain, blah, 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 real, 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 I said, oh, real, oh. I'm like, what are you talking about? I am going low. How, I mean, I won't be on my knees. So Eddie, ends, Eddie Fernandez is laughing and everybody's <laughs> on the floor now, screaming with laughter. He runs up the hill and he screams at me and he says, I said, reload. Oh, reload. Oh, why didn't you say so? What do you mean reload? I said, oh, like the gun, like chica, chica, reload. I got it. And I said, I couldn't understand you. So he's like, oh, you know God, you know God, you're not going to win. And so they threw me off the set and called for Eddie.
Is that funny? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious, dude. It was, I, but I couldn't get fired because I was on cage wage. But he liked it. And we had fun. We danced Zorba oh, the Greek. He was amazing, man. He was amazing. He was a great. Didn't he guy. fire? Didn't he fire all the um, ammunition guys or the guys doing the bombs because they weren't doing a good job or something like that? I think, I think so. that it wasn't big enough, so they had to get new people to do it. There was a lot of that going on. It was a, it, it was, was a tough film. Man, he was a master, dude. He was a master. Yeah, and he still is. And and they're great. And Terrence Chang was a was the silent producer who really kept it in check. I thought. Well, Very dude, nice after man. the movie, before we were done, Wind Talkers, Terrence came to see me and said, um, "You know, John wants to know um, what kind of movie you'd like to do." And I was like, well, you know, I'd like to do this movie called Turok, the hmm. Dinosaur Hunter, a comic mm -hmm. book I heard movie. about that. And Terrence says, well, you know, we are doing the, um, I think, action figure figures of that comic book. And I was like, really? So they brought some to me. And then John said that uh, he wanted to uh, do that movie with me. So after Wind Talkers... John and Terrence got everybody together to make the movie Turok. I was floored, dude, getting the call saying, okay, we're ready to move forward. This is our meeting. And I was like, what is going on here? But that was John Woo, dude. He took care of you. And, yeah. uh, and then we were putting together the movie. I got my buddy Hayden Christensen on board to come uh, – playing the movie and it was going all good but then it just fell apart the writer couldn't you know come with a good draft i disappeared because i was you know trying to write my own little screenplay of what would work and not work and you know the owners of it just got entangled and it just fell apart dude i was so disappointed but you know for me seeing how much john woo cared and terrence chang that you know, that's all that mattered, you mm -hmm. know, that that I have friends in this business and people who would actually look after me, you know, is really cool. You, when you hit the right people, I think, Adam, uh, they really are good. Most of the people are not. But once you hit the right guys and you're around them, I mean, Nick was very generous. John Wu was very generous as a person. We had Jerry Brookheimer was very generous uh, as well in terms of uh, a person and a producer. So, I mean, there are some really mm -hmm. good people out there who work with with actors and and uh, directors and they they collaborate well i think yeah well what i loved was nick just brought me into his house met his family mm -hmm. brought me to the parties in la and and it's unbelievable that you know someone of his stature was so generous but kind and just open to you know welcoming you to whatever he does because i was talking to him i was like man this is beautiful dude and um i was mentioning like all the people that he's with and he he said that he lives in a bubble that he's comfortable with mm -hmm. and most people can't fit into this bubble but this is what he's comfortable with. And, you know, his his friends, his other friends he has uh, that would show up and be there for him whenever he threw a party. Man, you could tell, man, that guy's respected. Yeah. And 
and you know you gotta just understand that he's he's Nick Cage he's eccentric he loves his family he loves his friends his friends are eccentric his friends live and support who he is and that's how Wind Talkers was it just changed the way I looked at the industry but the way I look at friendships and like you and I are still friends now mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like it it really it was it it changed a lot you know and I owed a lot to Nick John yourself Mark all everybody that was a part of that film is unique it launched you into a non-stop working actor machine from what I saw um, you've been in so many shows, Adam, so many TV series and leads and co-leads. And I was actually thrilled that you were on Law & Order. They actually cast a native Indian on Law & Order. And you were on it for a couple yes. of seasons. And you were really good. And I saw those seasons. I was lucky because I was working with Dick Wolf on a project called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was playing the lead with Anna Paquin. And hmm. during the filming... Dick Wolf was asking me if I wanted to be a regular on his show, Law and Order SVU. And I said, I kind of don't do television, but I'll do a guest spot. And he said, okay, that's good. So he kind of wrote this guest spot for me on the show. And when I showed up, Ice T kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, man. Love that you guy. Know, I, oh, he's awesome. Oh, man. he's great. And he pulled me aside and said, you know, Adam, I heard you don't want to be a regular on our show. And I said, well, you know, I'm not really into TV, so I just wanted to do like a guest spot. You know, I thought that's a good thing. And he said, well, you've been talking to me about how much pride you have for your people. You talk about the image and the integrity and you want to just change who we are in as the Hollywood Indian. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, this show is the biggest show in the world. Mm hmm you would do your people a service if you were on our show as a regular. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't see that. I so I said, okay, man. I said, thanks for telling me. And I called my manager immediately, and I said, you know, can we try to get me as a regular to see if that's on the table? And it still was. I think that's the right platform. I think he's right, Adam, because that show syndicated in about 200 countries in different languages. And nobody has a vision of what a native Indian actor looks like or acts like other than powwowing. You know, even to this yeah. day, they they it, they still really don't. So to see you in that character or other characters that you play, for some reason you're playing all the characters over the years. You're like whoring it out. You're like, the, <laughs> you're. it seems like there is nobody else. It's only Adam Beach. We got to hire him. But he's now over 40. That's okay. We'll make him like 22. Pull his face back. <laughs> it's like, Pull his face back. <laughs> It's good. Give us tummy tucks. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. Just go down on Spalding, drive south of Wilshire Boulevard. It'll be fabulous. We know the salon. Go do it. Pull, tuck and pull. But, uh, it's, but like, it's, you know, the industry has changed a lot. So there's not a lot of, you know, as they say, they try to say there's not a lot of money as they used to spend in mm-hmm. Hollywood, you know, 15 years ago. And, you know, if you're of kind of like this, uh, uh, this actor that I don't want to say ahead of the game or just kind of, you know, I have, I've done a lot of work, a lot of work for the last 20 years. So, so my quote is a lot bigger than a lot of 
other actors. So I miss out on a lot of projects because they can't afford what I've put into years of experience, which mm -hmm. I don't mind because, you know, I choose what I want to do, whether I get paid or not, you know. But, you know, sometimes I'll help people to get more for their films if I'm going to be with them. You know, there's ways around it. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm okay with not working if it comes to that. But, you know, if I just take care of myself, like you said, pull my face back, get a tummy tuck and, you know, show yeah. that I'm still 25, something will come and they'll ask me to come in to be a part of that show. And, you know, SVU with Dick Wolf, like, man, that guy took care of me. He, he, he made sure that I was a star and paid me as a star. And I was living the life, you know, it was mm -hmm. really cool. But you were, Adam, and you'd already paid your dues because you nonstop worked. And you proved to Hollywood that a native Indian actor is not just what we think they are. And you keep working and you keep giving back to the community, keep creating and and working on your the vision network and so forth so it's you're you're seasoned all around does it ever get old for you adam to constantly push the native indian envelope or do you want the people to understand and see that you can continuously work and be successful and and be that role model as you get older into your 50s later on in your 60s that you're going to break through like others mm -hmm. to that effect and i mean to me, from what I see, you're becoming that person. You're still young, but I can see 10, 20, 30 years, they're going to look back and you're going to have these big plaques uh, built <laughs> as you because you actually broke that mold. You went in and did Hollywood pictures and still continue to take care of people and represent them in the proper light, not in some a douchebag light. Well, I found, as talking to my wife, um, this year and I was mentioning how there was uh, uh, about a couple of years ago I think it was before Suicide Squad I was getting pretty much um, at, a, a, at a stalemate with in regards to Hollywood or people creating better native characters in film mm -hmm. they were all the same it was like I was almost going to play the same guy all the time so I had to say no I don't want to do that I don't want to do that and it was getting to a point where I was kind of like, man, why can't someone just start new and fresh? Indians are real right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And Suicide Squad came and they gave me this superhero comic character where I was like, yeah! And they didn't even have to have me be an Indian guy. They just You're wanted me a guy. and said, yeah! They said, we think you could play this guy. I was like, out of all of the thousand actors you can get, you call me, who's complaining at home right now about people not not knowing what to do with me in Hollywood. It was really cool. And after that, I got a new vigoration into the work again. I started going back to thinking like, wow, Wind Talkers, the experience was this, that was like this. And it kind of woke me up. So... Mm -hmm. After that, I sat with my wife, Summer, and I said, you know, what are, what are we going to do? So we basically are starting to write now. My wife is writing her first feature film, and it's dealing with the issue of suicide on reservations. That is a huge a, a problem. Mm -hmm. at, on both sides of the border. 
Yeah, so she's doing this psychological thriller, and I'm writing a short film about a guy who carves caskets for the dead on the reservation. Hmm. And um, I think what I'm doing now, and we are doing, because we're going to start our own production company, is tell the stories that we're missing at this point in regards to who we are or the stories we can renew and and kind of fit into different genres. There are so many stories, Adam, and reaching out to people in your tribe, shall I say, to have them also write their stories and bring them forth. Yeah, well, you know, I, the whole issue that came up was, you know, the Standing Rock dealing with water mm-hmm. and oil. Uh, and with that issue, it brought in all these indigenous tribes around the world to help each other. And when everybody was there, you could tell that there's this fabric of different nations that have so much storytelling. And I'm hoping that they could tell their stories. Because one of the hard problems is that you need money to, to actually put a production together and get writers, etc. But I have a film school up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, where I grew up. And it's been running for a few years now. And I'm hoping that the students that I'm helping to become filmmakers in this three-month program, that they are our future. They're the ones who will go home and bring back their stories or take their experience in their community and start their little mini production hubs, you know? Is that kind of uh, co-funded like by CBC, like the Norman Jewison School here in Toronto? Yeah, it's similar to that, but they're a bigger conglomerate than what we're doing. But we're kind of running. What I've come down to is I wanted to do something that was in a span of a few months of Mm. intense training, you know. And I found what's cool is that the government of Canada has given me funding for the next three years to house my students because some of them are coming from the reservations to the inner city. Mm -hmm. But also um, uh, uh, when they go into studying that, you know, it's paid for for them so they don't have to pocket or pay us any money. But also, too, is we have a, a, a program where we put them to work and we pay them a salary so it's kind of like this win-win where it's like these students come to my school and we pay them a salary to be there at the same time. It's really unique. And we're trying to kind of fine-tune it and and see where it goes. Adam, how do you pick yourself up, move on, be happy, have a marriage, have kids after the tragedy when you were eight years old and lost both your parents within a year? Yeah, that's... I just have to ask you that because we've never really spoken about it. I've heard about it, and then you're taken care of by your aunt and uncle. I'm going to, I mean, outside of Winnipeg, but I'm. were you in Ottawa prior to that, or were you in the similar I was, area? Uh, everything happened in Manitoba um, when my parents died when I was young, and then I grew up in Winnipeg. I moved to my relatives in the city, and then uh, I moved to Ottawa uh, when I met my first wife, had my boys up there and that's how I ended up there and for me the easiest way to say it is my trauma mm-hmm. became my learning my teaching of who I am 
what I've lost and now how do I go find it? And I was fortunate enough to get involved in acting because it gave me the tools to investigate all that. It gave me the tools to uh, uncover it through performance. And the best way to describe it is um, I did the movie Smoke Signals that, you know, won awards and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people really revere that film as one of the best Indian movies done. And that movie is the exact reference of what I was going through as a kid growing up and finding out, like, your father dies. What do you do? There's nothing you could do about it. And all you do is you pray and you're in turmoil because you just want to speak to your family or your parents again just once. Yeah. And you carry that for the rest of your life, you know. And for me, you know, the filming and the acting helped me bring that to surface. But the strength of, of dealing with my trauma was through my traditional teachings that I learned when I was 16 growing up to who I am now. Mm -hmm. And and that's a, it's a beautiful experience to have because... Mm -hmm the trauma, the historical trauma still exists and a lot of people are still trying to find themselves, trying to learn their language, trying to learn those teachings and it, it can be difficult. One thing I've learned through my wife and my child right now is just don't um, idle, you know? And you're in the sunshine state, which helps. And you're now doing... <laughs> helps with the tent. It helps with a great tent. I need to get out there. And I have a place here, and I, I don't even have time to be there, uh, which makes it even worse. And is that where... Is Vision TV, is it... The Open Vision Networks yes. was developed in New York City by a couple of people up in, um, in Harlem. And funny enough, I was working with Ice T and he said, Hey Adam, I want you to meet some friends of mine because I think I got something that you would need. And I said, Great. So he introduced me and they showed me this technology that nobody had and basically was, you know, looking at this online cable network mm -hmm. and seeing the future of what TV's going to be like, you know, Netflix now and everybody's going on the internet, you know, with with Facebook Live and etc. And what was amazing was Ice was basically like, you know, Adam, I want to give this to you. How many channels do you want? And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I want to give this to you. I want you to be a part of this. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is not asking for anything, but he he knows that I can use this to better my people. It was really amazing. So from that partnership, you know, I've I've now have, you know, my own cable network to be able to use the platform for what it's for is telling our stories, etc. But you obviously obviously need like fifty million dollars. Yeah to run your own cable network, which I don't have, but I'm finally, after like eight years, just, I'm finally gonna launch, you know, the first pay-per-view movie that I've done uh, last year, and uh, working on writing a TV show, and kind of, you know, now working its magic, I guess, you know? So we'll see, we'll see how, how it goes. I'll let okay. you know. <laughs> let me know. 
So now you're you're living in Florida because you've moved in diff- to diff- in different places. You've lived in LA, you've lived in Ottawa, uh, you lived in Toronto for a bit, and uh, now you're kind of permanent in this in this environment with your wife and daughter Phoenix, and you're you're based out of there and working and often flying in and out of different places. Yeah, it's kind of uh, I've been lucky that now I can just you know work when I want to work. I guess you know. Uh, you know, I wait for the business manager to call and say, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta get a job. Money's getting low." <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I'm really happy where I'm at, and uh, you know, I think I think we're in a really good place. That the productive activities that we're mm-hmm. doing is not only for our growth, but it's kind of like to share our voice through filmmaking and writing and and helping our communities grow you know adam i think you have an obligation because you've you've made this a lifelong career uh for your people to let them know that you can work succeed and be a normal person in in society not just having to be pigeonholed into something that they want you to be pigeonholed in into and you've done that and you've got 20 to 30 years to keep playing writing producing and acting you're only going to get better because you're going to get seasoned and you're going to be at in this house in this key west kind of you know a hemingway type of home that you have from what i see with the beautiful veranda (laughs) i'm already in love with it so i think you're in a perfect place and you're still young and you're still fucking hot and you're young (laughs) so uh you've got years to go you know that was you you had your you know your little youthful play in the film business and, and playing those roles now you've got bigger challenges you know and help out a lot of young people and and people who didn't really succeed but have have a good voice that can still work uh you know on this platform yeah well i want you to do a cameo in our movie when we get it all put together i would love to and just for <laughs> that awesome. i would love to and i work for food so i'm good <laughs> Just so you know, I'm just happy to be a part of stuff. I always tell people, I'll work for free as an actor. If you want me to in cameos, I'm good. But don't ask me to stand under a fucking light for a living, bitch, because you're going to pay. <laughs> so. Dude, he was so awesome, man. I still look back and I'm like, I, I was so amazed at, at how humble he is yeah. with everything he has. And, and it set a precedent for me to say, you know, if I ever have this, I'm going to, I'm going to try to stay humble, you know? And obviously I would never buy like 13 fancy cars, 36, but who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) Let alone his 50 motorcycles. Yeah. Oh my God. And the dozen houses and the chandeliers and, uh, you know, and all the movie paraphernalia that I saw in the house. Uh, including his the comic art, book, his comic oh books, the thing from Lost in Space, the robot from Lost in Space. Do, 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 yeah, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh spirit, my god, spirit. it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. crazy, dude. It was so funny because you know I'm I'm into cars, but I'm not really into cars. So yeah, I was at Nick's house, and he's like, Adam, let me show you something. So we went out into his yard, and he had his cars all lined up. Yeah. And he shows me this beautiful, beautiful car. And I was like, wow, dude, that is hot. And he goes, yeah, I just got it. And I said, wow, man, I'm, I'm really impressed, dude. I'm glad you got it. And he goes, 
yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> you don't know what it is. Do you? <laughs> and I said, no, what kind of car is it? <laughs> and he looked at me and he is so disappointed because I didn't know what an Alfa Romero was. And it was like the latest mm-hmm. car that came out. And he was, he was like, all right, let's go back in. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know he likes conversations with cars and 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 motorcycles. And, yeah. You know, like that's his hobby and he yeah. loves it, you know. Comic books, I can go for days, but not cars. Yeah, see, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't relate on that stuff either. I didn't know anything. I sat in these Ferraris. I couldn't get out. My back was hurting me. It was sitting too low. I'm thinking, just give me a Cadillac. I'm fine. You know, <laughs> yeah, the car I got is I have an 81 Camaro, so that's kind of my car. Oh my god, an 81 Camaro, yeah, oh old my god, school. that's like old school yeah. Guido. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my relatives would have that. <laughs> that's funny, You're crazy dude. <laughs> dude, I love what we just talked about. It's, it's awesome. Everything I do too, and with that, I'm signing off on this thank you for being on the show let's speak soon all right dude we'll talk later okay okay me too this concludes our chat with adam beach a man who is still as busy as ever writing acting and developing an online tv network until next time this is marco kiris signing off